Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the President and Vice Presidents of Synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. Issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. The only Son from Epiphany hymn, The Only Son from Heaven. John the Baptist twice proclaims Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The second time he does it, his disciples leave him and follow Jesus. John does not mind this because that's exactly what John was there for, to hand off disciples to Jesus. Greetings and welcome back to Issues Etc. Coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. It's time to look forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, the second Sunday after the Epiphany. Pastor Sean Denzer joins us. He is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, welcome. Great to be back. We have left behind the baptism of our Lord and are solidly now in the season of Epiphany. Why does this season vary in length? Great question. It varies in length because of where Easter falls. Sometimes Easter is earlier, sometimes Easter is later, because that's dependent on the moon and not on the movement of the sun. Depending on how later early Easter falls in a given year determines then how many Sundays after Epiphany. We have a much longer series of Epiphany in the three-year lectionary that we do in the one-year lectionary, because the one-year lectionary also counts not just 40 days before Easter, but 70 days before Easter also. In the three-year lectionary, that's all been uh, disappeared, so we only observe 40 days, and that's why uh, we have much longer epiphany now in the three-year lectionary, as many as eight and as few as uh, just one or two. So where are we going? How would you give us an overview of this coming Sunday in the broader sweep of the Epiphany season? In all three years of Epiphany, it focuses on kind of two things. One, the beginning of our Lord's ministry, in particular, the calling of his disciples. And then two, it moves into what Jesus does during his earthly ministry, or that's usually the way we put it. So in years A, which this year, and C, we get to hear from the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain, Jesus teaching. Uh, And then in year B, we get to hear largely about his miracles. That's a bit of a shift. We definitely have miracles uh, in the historic uh, Epiphany season, uh, but there's a little less... uh, maybe abstract focus on Jesus being the Son of God revealed to us, and a little more pinpointed uh, 
on how he is revealed through his teaching and through his deeds, his words and his deeds, which again, because it's picking up on the order of the gospels. So this is most of the early material in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In all three years, like I said, calling of the apostles and then his teaching work. Of all the years, though, I do think this year A fits very well following on the heels of the baptism of our Lord that we had last Sunday. Because we're going to hear John the Baptist kind of rehearsing what he saw at the baptism of Jesus as he is handing off his disciples to Jesus. What is the gospel focus for this coming Sunday? So the gospel for this Sunday is very well known. It's a very simple sermon repeated twice by John the Baptist, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But we get the context in which John says this. That'll be both that he's going to recount the baptism of Jesus and tie that in with his foretelling of uh, the one who's going to come after him, who's going to be greater than him, etc. And he's going to hand his disciples off to follow after the Lamb of God. So it's not just, hey, pay attention, that's an interesting guy walking by, but it's behold the Lamb of God, everyone ought to follow him. In a sense, it's the end of John's ministry, which we heard a lot about in Advent, dovetailing with the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And the intention is that you would go from one into the next, which is perfect for John. He's always preparing us for Christ and the arrival of him. I should say also, this is a very diverse Sunday, and for the hearer who's preparing to attend the service, it's hard to say really what you're going to hear preached. It could be a very narrow thing. The pastor could simply focus in on those words, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and tell us what it means that Jesus is the Lamb of God, what it means that he takes away the sin of the world, etc. But you also could have something very thematic, which what does it mean that Jesus is being revealed to us, and what is how is he being revealed today in all of our readings? And likewise, uh, especially as we look at the epistle reading beginning today and then going through the rest of the epiphany season, there is opportunity for a very didactic, very expository, homiletical approach where you might just teach what 1 Corinthians has to say. What connecting themes should we be looking for in the Proverbs? So we're going to see that Christ is setting out on his mission, for lack of a better term. As we said last time, he is the Christ. That means he's anointed for a particular office and task. We're going to start seeing that task being taken up by Christ. And that's present in the intro. It's present in the gospel, of course. And the Old Testament even hints at this. Also, we're going to hear about calls, vocations, that is uh, calling into a, an office or calling into a purpose. So we get to hear about the call of Israel in the Old Testament, that the Lord chose Israel for a unique purpose. But likewise, we're going to hear about the call of Christ. And this is continuing a theme we've had before, that Christ is Israel boiled down to one man, the embodiment of Israel. In fact, the true Israel come to succeed in all of the ways that Old Testament Israel failed. And then also, as an extension of this, we're going to hear about the call of the first disciples, the call of the apostles into their ministry. And uh, we should say these these seem to be all very different. There's definitely a way to connect them, and that is to see that Jesus is Israel at its peak, right? Jesus is Israel narrowed down to the Messiah, 
and just as the Father sent Christ to accomplish this work for our salvation, so also he calls his apostles to deliver and to, to spread and to keep preaching that salvation that has been won for us by Christ. So it does all connect. There's also a little connection with the word redeemer. So we hear that he's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but also that phrase that he is, the Lord is our redeemer, is found in many of our readings today. I want to maybe just stop here for a moment and and let the hearer also realize that today is going to start a disconnect that is intentional in the three-year lectionary, but it might be jarring. So far, we've looked at all three readings and seen how they've been chosen really to comment on each other. So the epistle and the Old Testament and the gospel are all related to each other. We won't necessarily be seeing that going forward, particularly in the epistle reading. So the epistles in the three-year lectionary are chosen for most of the year in what's called Lectio Continuo, in English, a continuous reading. So we're just going to read today 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and next week we'll go on to the next section of 1 Corinthians, and so on till we've gone through the whole book. That will make them a little disconnected uh, because it doesn't guarantee in any way that the epistle has anything much to do with the other readings. That being said, the scripture, all of it, is one. It all has finally the same author, God himself, by his Holy Spirit. And so uh, I won't be surprised at all if we do find many connections that are just hiding below the surface, you might say. The intro is drawn from Psalm 19. How does it read and what would you highlight in there? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's the antiphon. It's actually the last verse of the psalm. And then we double back to the beginning of the psalm. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their measuring line goes throughout all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the Son. Glory be to the Father, etc. So this is just the first portion, and then kind of bookended by the last verse of Psalm 19. That's interesting. Psalm 19 is traditionally a psalm about Christ going forth. There's a whole section on that would follow on today's text, but the bridegroom leaving his chamber, making his course, like a strong man running his course with joy. And that phrase comes right into the Advent hymn, Savior the nations come. Uh, Here we're focusing on the first part, which is about the word of God at work in creation, to create the world, to in fact show his handiwork in all of his works. Uh, However, that may have been marred and obscured by sin since then. And then shifting from the speech of the Lord at work in creation to the speech of the Lord that is heard throughout the world. And uh, Paul himself uh, connects this phrase in Psalm 19 to the work of the apostles. Uh, In Romans 10, he talks about this, how the gospel has gone out, how the, the apostolic message has gone out to all the world, and yet, tragically, not everyone hears. Therefore, uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, a well-known phrase. So uh, what is the focus then for today? That the word of God is going to be going forth, that he's going to call. And I think from that antiphon, the fact that the Lord is our rock and our redeemer. 
So this phrase is often used as a prayer before hearing the word, or sometimes pastors will use this as a prayer before they teach something or preach. And that's very fitting. The words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, or sometimes they alter it slightly to say the meditation of our hearts. Let it be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. That's a fine prayer. But in particular today, I think we want to see this in the voice of Christ Jesus, that he also prays this prayer, not that his words are in danger of being unacceptable at any time, but that he delights to do the will of his Father, that he is coming to preach, that he is coming to uh, reveal the Redeemer who is the Lord by his redemption. The Collect, how does that read? Almighty and everlasting God, who governs all things in heaven and earth, mercifully hear the prayers of your people and grant us your peace through all our days, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So the collects are all drawn in this first half of the church year from the traditional collects. They're the same in all lectionaries, no matter what year you're in. And originally, this was paired with the wedding at Cana. We will get to hear that in year C. And so there, Mary makes a request, you know, uh, they have no wine. She does it in this indirect way to call on Jesus to uh, act, uh, to be merciful, to show himself as the groom to the bride, the church. And it fits very well with that, where you have a prayer that's being answered. Here, it does, I think, uh, continue out the Christmas message that we've heard for a long time, the message of peace from the angels. We see that the Lord is obviously in charge and ruling over both heaven and earth, since He is. his angels have now descended to the earth. They're among us as well. But I think also for today, what you might connect it to is that famous phrase that we're going to hear a number of times from the gospel, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the reason for this is Christ as the Lamb of God, as the sacrifice that makes atonement for the sins of the world, Christ Jesus is what makes peace. It says in the scriptures that he has made peace by the blood of his cross. So it is that we ask for his peace through all our days, and we ask that in that Lamb of God, our sacrifices, our prayers, our needs would also be pleasing and acceptable in his sight. All of this, of course, is the way the Old Testament temple worked, that in the lamb of the daily offering, all of the other concerns and needs were brought throughout the day, the incense, the the prayers, the sacrifices, the sin offerings, etc., uh, and they all would go up in the aroma, in the in the fire, you might say, of that first sacrifice, the lamb that goes down. So it is with us. In Christ Jesus, one sacrifice, which is a saving and atoning sacrifice, all of our needs, all of our petitions are also pleasing and heard by God. That's why we pray in the name of Jesus whenever we pray. Pastor John Denzer is our guest director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary. The Old Testament reading from Isaiah 49 is next. Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the President and Vice Presidents of Synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. 
issuesetc.org 2023 nominations. Deaconesses are women trained to share the gospel of Jesus Christ through works of mercy, spiritual care, and teaching of the Christian faith. The word deaconess means servant. Find out more on how you can serve in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod through the vocation of deaconess at lcms.org slash deaconess. Working in faith, laboring in love, remaining steadfast in the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. LCMS Deaconess Ministry, lcms.org slash deaconess. Old theology, new technology. You're listening to Issues Etc., Memoria Press award-winning Latin programs have successfully taught hundreds of thousands of students across the world. Their easy-to-use, step-by-step Latin curriculum provides students with an academic vocabulary, a mastery of English grammar, and strong critical thinking skills. If you're interested in learning more, visit memoriapress.com and save $5 on your next purchase by using the coupon code LPR23. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, the second Sunday after the Epiphany. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc., Sean, the Old Testament reading for this coming Sunday, Isaiah 49, 1 through 7. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to the deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise, princes And they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. 
So it may be a little difficult to hear and understand in all places who is speaking to whom. It changes voice a few times, as the scriptures often do. Mm-hmm. And you can hear that this has the character of poetry. It has those kind of two-lined couplets saying the same thing, but slightly different the second time, which you find all over in the Psalms as well. So first of all, the Lord is speaking, and he's speaking to the Gentiles. That's the coastland. But then he changes his voice and he is speaking in the voice of Israel, that Israel has been called from the womb, that Israel is his servant in whom the Lord will be glorified. And yet, as we go through, we see Israel has an objection to this, right? Israel has been taken off into exile. Israel's been attacked. So all this effort has been done in vain, right? We're lost. And yet the Lord says he's not only going to raise up a servant who brings them back out of captivity, Jacob and Israel, the sons of Judah, that the Lord will bring them back out of the exile. But he also says he's going to make them a light for the nations. This is a continuing in the theme and the fact that the Lord is not only the savior of of the Jews, but also of the Gentiles. And in Christ, this is revealed. Then I think the names begin jumble, become jumbled up quickly, and it's difficult for us to understand if the Lord is speaking or if Israel is speaking, which is absolutely fantastic because this is a prophecy and an indication to us of just what we've been saying over and over again, what we see also in today's gospel reading, that Jesus is Israel boiled down to one man, that in fact the Lord comes as an Israelite, to save and redeem his people, and along with them then, to redeem the whole world. So at the end, we have this name. Think of all the names we have here given to the Lord, that he is the servant, the one in whom he will be glorified. He is the true son of Israel, that he is the one who is the redeemer of Israel, as well as being the holy one of Israel. And I think that's quite clear that it says he's both the savior and he is the Lord, who is now being identified with Israel, the one who will bring them back from being taken into captivity. The psalm, Psalm 40, the 11 verses of that psalm, how does it read? I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it, and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust, and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works, which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire, my ears thou hast opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy righteous faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. Withhold not your tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me. So we have just a a portion of this psalm 
but in it we hear the voice of Christ, that he is the servant who delights to do God's will. We have an extended commentary on this passage in the book of Hebrews, actually, also, uh, which you can look up, and it talks about the fact that he has been given a body, that he's come, uh, as it has been written about him in the Old Testament, to do the will of his Father. And we see also in here uh, that he is called out to be a redeemer and to be the one who is faithful. Uh, I didn't mention that from the Old Testament reading, but that's a key phrase that is mentioned. Not only that the Lord has steadfast love, that he is uh, a redeemer, that he's the Holy One of Israel, but also that he is faithful. He keeps his promises. He pledges himself to be true to Israel. And he upholds that even when Israel is not true to him. I think we also see in this a little bit of a hint about the many, the message out to the coastlands too, because it says over and over again how the many will see it and will trust and come to faith in the Lord as well. So that should be understood as Christ Jesus as well. Maybe it's worth asking why it's been shortened. It is an observation that in Lutheran service book, they did not want to have psalms that were much more than 12 verses. And, and some of the psalms are much shorter than that, of course, but there are also many that are much longer. So they tended to, to shorten them up to about 10 to 12 verses at most. In this case, Psalm 40 actually does have kind of a break at verse 13, uh, and, and 13 to the end is part of another psalm as well. It's the content of Psalm 70. Although, as you'll often find if you look into a psalm, they tend to cut them off before it goes bad in some way. Either it's negative instead of a positive praise of God, maybe it goes into some laments, or in some cases, as in this one, an unwillingness to speak about the enemies being put to shame, as Psalm 11 goes on to do. If you have time, hey, why not sing the whole psalm? It's only 17 verses totally. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary, the second Sunday after the Epiphany. The Epistle from Ephesians is next. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January would make a great gift for your pastor. It's the New Concordia Commentary on John, chapter 7, verse 2, to chapter 12, verse 50. This latest Concordia Commentary is written by Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Bill Weinrich. Learn more about our January Book of the Month at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. The New Concordia Commentary on John 7, 2 to 1250. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we dig further into St. Luke's Gospel with Herod's perplexity, feeding of the 5,000, Peter's confession, take up your cross, and transfiguration. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Sacramental, historical, liturgical. You're listening to Issues Etc. At Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Rockland, California, we keep the focus on Christ every Sunday with ancient liturgy, preaching from the lectionary, and celebration of the sacrament of the altar. Come be a part of the evangelical and Catholic faith as handed down to us in the Lutheran confessions. We celebrate the divine service every Sunday at 8 o'clock and 10.30 with Sunday school for all ages at 9.15. 
To learn more, visit holycrossrockland.org. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and lay people worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy promotes confessional Lutheran theology through conferences, scholarly exchanges, and publications like Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatic Series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up for their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com. We're looking forward to the second Sunday after the Epiphany, according to the three-year lectionary with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. What is the appointed epistle for this coming Sunday? The epistle reading is 1 Corinthians 1, verses 1 through 9. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, this is just the the beginning of the book of 1 Corinthians, which over the next three years of the three-year lectionary, we hear in the course of Epiphany. So we get uh, chapters one through, oh, I can't remember, but eight weeks worth, if you can do them all. And then we pick up where we left off in year B, and we kind of finish out the book in year C. So this continuous reading in this way invites a different kind of preaching that a pastor might make use of if he chooses to preach on the epistle. Some pastors do that on Sunday. Others do it during the week as well. But it invites not like a liturgical style of preaching where you would try to bring together all the themes of the day, as we often do on this topic, but it does invite kind of a homiletical, I'm going to take it verse by verse, a didactic treatment. I'm going to teach you what this text means and what Paul is getting at. We're going to let him and the order of his letter dictate it. For that kind of preaching, commentaries can often be more helpful and might be helpful also for the for the listener if their pastor is taking that approach to the season. For our series, I'd like to try and uh, make those liturgical connections, however, so that the preaching will be maybe not just across a single text, but over all of the texts that are presented to us for the day. I think that's helpful for the uh, for the member who's sitting in the pew even if their pastor does choose to treat something very specifically, like I'm going to preach to you on the epistle and we're just going to tackle this text and and make sure that every Christian here knows what's going on in Paul's opening to his letter. There's nothing wrong with that at all. However, as we experience, as we listen to, as we hear, and as our faith is strengthened by the service, all of these passages from the scriptures are coming together to do that. And so I think it can be very fruitful 
in our continual growing when a Christian is open to seeing how all of these scriptures can affect us and and work together uh, on our consciences and on our hearts. Every year is different, but this is what makes the liturgy delightful. What makes attendance at worship delightful is that the Lord opens up new things out of his word all the time. He puts this passage next to that passage. He shows to us uh, maybe something in-depth that we didn't know, and that's what a pastor can be especially useful for from his studies. But also, just the fact that we put the scriptures next to each other, as the propers do, as the intro and the gradual, along with our main readings that we hear read at length, this is something that every Christian is able to do as they're looking through their Bible, as they're cross-referencing passages, maybe if they have a cross-reference, or simply if they're reading from multiple chapters of maybe different sections of the Bible, this end up putting the scriptures next to it in a way we might not have seen so that we can discover how the scriptures are one, how they all are shaped by their author, the Holy Spirit, and how they do testify in many and various ways to Christ Jesus. This reading, just to look at it briefly, this is the introduction to Paul's letter. So in typical Greek fashion, you start with the from, and then you have the to. So the from is Paul and Sosthenes with him. And then the to is all of the Christians in Corinth. Just to make a few comments on it briefly, this is a fantastic thing that Paul addresses those Christians in Corinth as saints. So important. We use the term saint almost exclusively sometimes to refer to those who have died in the faith. But in the scriptures in the New Testament, they are used in this way to refer to those who are still alive, those who are sanctified by the Holy One of Israel, that is by Christ Jesus. And as we go through the rest of it, just look at how often the name of Jesus is mentioned in just this short little section of nine verses. Christ Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. We're Fellowship of his son, who's that? Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul is making it very clear what kind of message and whose servant he is. He's a servant of Christ Jesus. That's the one we should be giving our attention to. That's going to foreshadow also what we do here in the gospel today with John saying, behold, the Lamb of God. And maybe just one more note that could be a good connection, especially to the Old Testament reading and to our intro and our psalm. God is faithful. Paul brings this out when he's talking about how the people in Corinth have received the grace of God. They've been enriched by the word of God, by the testimony. They've been given so many spiritual gifts so that everything belongs to them. He'll say later, right, what do you have that you've not received richly from God? All of this to say, God in his faithfulness has done this. And that should be our touchstone then both when we strive to serve him well and when we realize where we have been unfaithful and we return to him seeking pardon and forgiveness, God remains faithful. What is the gradual? It's it's seasonal for Epiphany. Correct. The Epiphany gradual continues. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Ascribe to the Lord glory, do his name, bring an offering, and come into his courts. So for this week, that middle phrase, the steadfast love toward us and the faithfulness of the Lord that endures forever, is especially poignant and a good connection to what we see in our Old Testament and our epistle reading. The verse? The verse is a very simple phrase we know very well. 
Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. From the Gospel reading we're about to hear in John chapter 1. We'll talk more about this as we go on, but I think it's worth just focusing a little bit on this song that we know so well. We call it the Day, Lamb of God. We sing this always during communion. It's very interesting, this passage, this section that we're going to hear in today's gospel reading, never used to appear in the lectionary at all, which doesn't appear in the one-year lectionary on a Sunday. That seems very strange for something that's so important to the church. This is the only time that John actually got to preach kind of the direct gospel. We know John more for all the Advent stuff we talked about where he's calling people to repentance. Hey, you brood of vipers. He's dressed in his raggedy clothes. He's not the good cop, you might say, or he doesn't appear that way. And yet today's gospel is his most glorious sermon. And I think we should call it that, even though it's only one sentence long, to say, here he is, here is Jesus, right? This is what makes John the greatest prophet, the greatest man ever born of woman, up until the least of the kingdom of heaven, that is, because he is the final prophet. He's the one who has nothing more to say dimly. And in fact, gets to point a finger, gets to say, here he is, pay attention to this one, follow this one. So why didn't that old lectionary ever have this text? I think it was simply because we sing this text and we say it all the time. So there's no need to hear it separately, you might say, or or just take one day to focus on it. This is something that's so important. It's got to be a part of every service. That brings us to the gospel, and that is... John chapter 1, verses 29 through 42. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Jesus said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where Jesus was staying, and they stayed with Jesus that hour, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. So the the next day, just to give a little context for our, our scripture, the next day is after the Pharisees come and question John the Baptist, who are you? Are you the prophet? Are you the one who's to come, etc.? And John says, oh no, I'm not the Christ. That's his confession. But I baptize so that you may know the one who stands among you already. That's the one that I'm not worthy to even touch his sandals. And so the very next day, Jesus comes. 
Behold the Lamb of God, I think we could talk probably for a whole show on just this little phrase. It's rich. And that's why I say it should be a sermon, and perhaps even it will be the theme of the sermon that you'll hear on Sunday. It'd be a totally appropriate thing to just devote ourselves to this text. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What does it mean that Jesus is a lamb? And how often is he called this in the scriptures? This is the way the scriptures end, with the lamb who looks like he's been slain and yet lives, standing on the throne. And all nations, and all of the 12 elders as well, gathered around him. The lambs in particular are the ones who are the offerings, the Passover lamb, the lambs for the temple, and uh, in many other places as well. And we see that he's going to do something. He's going to take away the sin of the world. And uh, sometimes it's debated whether this reference is more the scapegoat, the one on whom the sins of Israel were confessed, who's sent off into the wilderness on the Day of Atonement. Or is this simply speaking about the propitiatory sacrifices that had to be offered that the Lord said would be pleasing and he would be there in his grace and mercy, showing his loving kindness? All of them really come to a head in Jesus Christ, that he is not just any old lamb, not just the priest's lamb or the people's lamb or the lamb for the day of atonement or the lamb for the daily offering. No, this is the lamb of God. This is the one put forward by God. This is the one in whom all sacrifices are comprehended and from whom they have their power, have their saving properties, can deliver anything to the Old Testament people. And likewise, not only that he is the lamb of God in the sense that God chose him out or that God is glad to receive him, both true, but much more that this is the lamb who is God himself, who has come to sacrifice himself to redeem his own people. Marvelous. And notice, to take sins away, to do away with them, to forgive what has been done wrong, to make peace between God and man. This is Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. LCMS Worship has produced free resources on the liturgy, lectionary, hymnody, and more. Check them out at lcms.org worship, lcms.org worship. When we return, how do we deal with John's words, I did not know him? If you appreciate Issues Etc., our 24-7 music and talk stations, and our daily verse-by-verse Bible study, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, please include a bequest in your will or trust for these worldwide media resources. Bequests aren't subject to federal tax or capital gains taxes. Ensure your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren the opportunity to listen by including a bequest in your will or trust for Issues Etc., Lutheran Public Radio, And the word of the Lord endures forever. Since 1973, pro-life advocates have been gathering annually in Washington, D.C. to march for unborn life. 
And since the overturning of Roe v. Wade last year, this movement has taken on new direction and new focus. To learn more, pick up your copy of the January issue of The Lutheran Witness, titled Life After Roe, and learn more about what the pro-life movement is now doing to stand up for life. Visit cph.org witness or witness.lsms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. More topics, more guests, more Jesus. You're listening to Issues Etc. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. O Lord, open my lips. Listen to chapel services live weekday mornings from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel. Live weekday mornings at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain, and 7 Pacific at issuesetc.org. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod, is our guest as we look forward to Sunday morning, the second Sunday after the Epiphany, according to the three-year lectionary. Sean, how do we reconcile the visitation where the infant John the Baptist recognizes the infant Jesus, even leaps for joy in Elizabeth's womb, filled by the Holy Spirit, and John's words here in the text, I did not know him. That's great. It's very similar to another disagreement, you might say, that John and Jesus have, right? Because John says, oh, no, I'm not Elijah. That would have been the reading right before this in John's gospel. No, I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. I'm not any of these things. And then when Jesus has his chance to talk about John, he says, nope, if you accept it, he's the Elijah who is to come. He is the greatest of all the prophets, maybe not the prophet. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. So why this disagreement? I think the reconciliation can be found in looking at John's whole attitude of his ministry, which is always to be self-deprecatory, to say, I'm not the one, Uh, to go out of his way to say, uh, you know, even by his dress to say, I'm not the king, I'm not the Christ, I'm not the, the one on whom all of this rests, but rather to say, to wait for his time to say, behold, look, here he is. This is the Lamb of God. This is the greater one. I must decrease. He must increase, etc. And in terms of not knowing him, not knowing him in this sense, that nobody would recognize this Savior unless it was disclosed from above. Jesus says this to Peter as well. He says, when Peter gives his great confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. In a way, I think you could say, well, what do you mean? You've come in flesh and blood. You've revealed this to me, Jesus. But Jesus uses this expression to say, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes, I'm here. Yes, you've seen me. Yes, you've been listening to my teaching. It's about time, Peter. 
but for anybody to come to faith and to trust in this and to recognize and believe and to know deeply who the Christ is and what he is, this comes by the Holy Spirit. Thus, John did not know him in the sense that he came to this conclusion on his own, but this has been revealed to him as his task. And that's what he says, right? I didn't know him, but look, here's what matters. The purpose of all of this is that I can reveal him to Israel. Then he doubles back and says it again. The purpose of all this is to point out that he is the one greater than me. And finally to say, I want to bear witness that this is the son of God. So nobody knows Jesus according to just human friendliness, right? Uh, But the knowing of Jesus that we're interested in is knowing him according to saving faith, knowing him as the son of God, knowing him as the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And uh, that's the testimony John is all about. That's the testimony he said a little earlier, the Pharisees reject a foreshadowing of everything that is to come between them. So how would we distinguish between John's baptism and Christ's baptism? This is another question that's debated. We have the testimony of the scriptures that there is something greater about Jesus' baptism. It's it's a baptism with the Holy Spirit. And yet I think there's strong evidence also in what John says, what we do hear about John's baptism, it bears so many of the marks of what our baptism is in the New Testament as well. It, it is for repentance, and it is for the forgiveness of sins, and it is always with reference to Christ Jesus. So we see that John's work was all preparatory to find its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. We have that one incident in Acts chapter 9 where Paul stumbles across those guys who had been baptized by John, but they didn't know about the Holy Spirit. It's all very strange. And I think that's, in fact, that's the whole point of it is to see that to have John over and against Jesus is to have missed the point entirely. Everything John was doing out there in the desert was to direct us into Christ Jesus and into his fullness. Therefore, it's not so much about, let's lay these two out and say, well, okay, you got two options. You can either be a John disciple or you can be a Jesus disciple. And once my pro con list came up, I think Jesus is a little stronger position. No, it's rather that to be a disciple of John is to lead you into being a disciple of Jesus, in which case John's done his work. And if you're someone who comes later and goes straight into Jesus Christ, you have it all, right? So what does holy baptism give us in the New Testament? It gives us the Holy Spirit for faith in Christ Jesus. It is for repentance into the forgiveness of sins that was won for us by Christ Jesus. In the same way that uh, Jesus says, you know, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is still greater even than John the Baptist, the greatest in the summation of all of the Old Testament prophets. It's not to try and have a who's better contest, but it is to say that John was always uh, uh, leading into something that now has been fully revealed in Christ. So that's why John's disciples become Christ's disciples. Yeah, yeah. It's fascinating, right? So it took him two days, I guess. Well, we had two speeches, right? And the next time he says, behold the Lamb of God, the disciples listen to John and their conclusion is, we're going to follow him now. And there's no, you know, sad parting. And I think that is probably exactly how we ought to see this event happening. They just peel off. The, the logical conclusion of everything they've learned from John the Baptist is when this guy comes, we have to follow him. 
it says elsewhere in John's gospel, Jesus is baptizing more. He's getting more disciples than John the Baptist. And the Pharisees, from their eyes, it looks like a competition between two itinerant preachers. Uh, but from our understanding, from the understanding that both John and Jesus give us, this is always the intention. The forerunner, uh, the preparer of the way, his work is best done when finally we're in the way, when we're 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 with Christ Jesus. This, this is a fine understanding of the pastoral ministry as well. It's not intended that pastors would claim disciples after themselves. Also for radio guests, I suppose, right? It's so great to have at our fingertips, thanks to Todd Wilkin, all of these experts in so many different matters, the best pastors all around the world to come speak on these topics. And yet the point of it is not to draw disciples after us, any of us, certainly not to draw disciples after just the host, but to draw us all after Christ Jesus, to, to say at the end of it, not, well, your sermon was amazing, but to say, ah, this Christ that you showed us is amazing. So that's what we see. We get to see these disciples are just, well, if he's the Lamb of God, I think we know what John wants us to do. We're going to peel off and follow him. And John is smiling the whole time. And then we get a little uh, halfway through, we get to hear who these disciples are, at least one of them. One of the two is Andrew. Now, we've heard this text already in the church here, if you observed St. Andrew's Day right at the beginning of Advent. But it's nice to hear it again and kind of a little more in its chronological context as a preparation for Christ's ministry. So Andrew, one of the 12, and we get to hear also that he's connected with Simon Peter, and he's going to tell Simon something. And it is great to see these two different phrases in here. So when they first follow Jesus and he says, what are you doing? Aren't you going to be uh, John's students, his disciples? And they say, no, we want to know where you're staying, rabbi. Kind of a, a key phrase that would indicate they, they consider Jesus to be their teacher now. They are going to be his disciples. That's all very clear. And yet that is not where they stay, Right. When he says, come and you will see, they recognize this is more than just uh, swapping teachers or changing classes or transferring to a different college. This one's different. And that's what causes Andrew to make a detour to grab Simon Peter, his brother, who's given the full name here because uh, there's no secrets in the Gospels. We're not trying to hold something off to the end. We're going to let you know what's going on right away. And uh, you'll, you'll grow into these characters, which you've heard about before as we go through the Gospel. So he stops over with Peter, brings him, and listen to what he says. We have found the Messiah, he says, which means the Christ. So, so Andrew recognizes immediately, not just that this is the conclusion of John's teaching or you got to switch teachers. No, in this case, this is the one we've been waiting for. So everybody needs to come and follow him too. With about a minute here, what would you say about the hymn of the day, The Only Son from Heaven? Oh, I love this hymn. I don't think it's as well known as it should be. Written by Elizabeth Krusiger in the uh, Reformation period in the 16th century. So it's fantastic to uh, have a, a female author of a great hymn. And it's a fantastic hymn talking about the two natures of Christ Jesus. The fact that Christ is God, the Son of God, come in our flesh, that he's the one who's appointed and anointed. It's a really a good summation of all of Epiphany. If I had only one objection, it might be that the third stanza could be stronger. In the German, it says this, and you can understand what this means in our translation, but it says, Lord, 
kill us, slay us with your goodness, but raise us by your grace, which is a fine uh, hat tip to the law and the gospel. It calls us to repentance, John's maybe more famous message, and that brings us to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The very same one who was there in the Old Testament before whom all the angels cry, holy, 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 the blessed Trinity. Here it is, Jesus Christ, the second person. Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, thanks. My pleasure. Tuesday on Issues Etc. We'll look forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, talking with Pastor Peter Bender about Jesus turning the water into wine at the wedding at Cana, and we'll discuss the late Pope Benedict on the sacrament of the altar, worship, and biblical scholarship with Pastor Andrew Garricky. What John proclaims about Jesus is absolutely true. Here he is, the one who is carrying away the sins of the world in his own body to his cross, the sins that were mine and that were yours. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Issues Etc. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Jesus the Good Shepherd says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. We invite you to join us as we listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd and follow him who gives us eternal life. Sunday worship services at 9 a.m., Sunday school and Bible class at 1030, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, Arnold, Missouri, on the web at goodshepherdarnold.org. That's goodshepherdarnold.org. You're invited to a special life service Sunday afternoon at 3 on January 22nd at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Columbia, Illinois. Pastor Michael Salamink, Executive Director of Lutherans for Life, will be the guest preacher. What does Jesus have to do with life issues? Find out at a life service Sunday afternoon at 3, January 22nd at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Columbia, Illinois. Learn more at sidadvocatesforlife.com.